0: Alright, we are going to be doing uh, a couple of baptisms, and so uh, before we get to baptism, we're going to share a little bit from Ephesians, and then we're going to celebrate baptism together. And this text here is a good text on uh, Baptism Sunday, because actually a portion of this text today, many believe, was actually a, an early church hymn that was sung whenever people were baptized, and so it fits exactly into where we are at. Uh, in the book of Ephesians. And this passage today, so we're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, is probably, as a lot of scholars say, the most clear description of what it means to be a Christ follower, or what it means to be saved. And if you want to know, well, what does it mean to be saved, or born again, if you hear someone say those words, uh, this is what it means. This is a very clear text uh, about that. And really, this text is broken up into two scenes. A scene of what it's like before Jesus in your life, and then it's what it's like after Jesus is in your life. And so it's kind of two scenes, two parts, and Paul opens up with the beginning scene of what it is like uh, to be apart from Christ. And so he's writing to this church, and he says, as for you, to, to everyone in this church, Uh, And to this church as well, there was a time, unless you kind of grew up in a Christian family, it kind of all blends together. But if you didn't like me, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, there was a time when I did not know Jesus. And so he's talking about this first scene, a time where you did not know Jesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Now, the phrase transgression and sins, is basically two words that means the same thing. And uh, it basically means this, that it's anything that does not line up with the kingdom of God. Uh, that, I mean, if you speak words of uh, bitterness, or you're resentful, or, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're doing things that, that doesn't line up with God, that, is, that does not line up with the kingdom, you're unloving, that's, that's, that's a transgression and sin. It could also be described as an act of choosing our own way and leaving God out of the picture. Whenever you choose your own way and just kind of leave God out of the picture, that would be transgression and sin. Um, and, and there was a time where this, this was me, You're living in transgression and sin. I didn't give a rip about what God thought about how I used my time or my energy or money. I didn't care, you know, what God thought about how I really treated people because he wasn't in my life. That's just living in transgression and sin. And then he says, uh, and this is why uh, Paul can actually say this, that everything that does not come faith from faith is sin. That anything we do in our life that does not come through acknowledging God, whenever you leave God out of the picture, whenever something is done without faith in Jesus, it's actually, it's actually sin. And so as we're walking this world without Jesus, not lining up with the kingdom of God, choosing our own way and leaving God out of the picture, he describes it in this text as actually being Dead. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and then he says in which you used to live, and so you were dead and yet you're alive. I mean, how does that work? It's kind of like the walking dead, I guess, if you've seen the TV show, the zombies, the zombies, you know, can be the, it can be the walking dead, uh, but Paul was saying before Jesus, it's like you're the walking dead, uh, meaning a variety of things, but one thing is that that part of you, your spirit, it is dead to God. God being the most important thing in the universe, the one who wants to change our hearts that our spirit is dead. Even though we're alive, our spirit is dead to God. Or the idea, and often the Bible uses these two descriptions that Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. And the Bible often describes walking without Jesus as death. You can look at it as eternal life and eternal death, but it's also life now and death now because our spirit is closed off to God. And again, this was me. I mean, I didn't become a Christian until 1997. Until 1997, And uh, before that, I didn't really know about God. I didn't really care about what he thought in my life. Um, I, I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know what meaning w- w- was for. I mean, I would love those who love me, but if someone didn't love me back, I wouldn't care if I wouldn't revenge or carry bitterness or unforgiveness because who cares? I don't like them anyways. I mean, trying to find out who I was, Running after money, after work, after possessions, anything to find meaning in my life. And and then I'm at Jesus. And all of a sudden everything has changed. All of a sudden I realize that, that I am in Christ and my identity is in Jesus and that He's given me the power to love. And all of a sudden everything has changed. And when I think back to life without Christ, it's like it like it was like I was the walking dead. When I compare what my life is like now in Jesus. And then it doesn't mean my life is necessarily any easier, but I mean it's just there is so much hope and there is peace, and I know exactly what this world is about. I know my purpose in this world, I know my identity, I know who I am, and that is that is life-giving. And so before Jesus, we are dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live. And and it goes on and paints the scene even darker. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And it, says, and it says, before Jesus, we followed the ways of this world. And that doesn't, I mean, the world is, is described in various ways. I mean, there's uh, the world of people. Uh, it says, God so loved the world. He's not talking about that. There's the physical world. And we are to care about this physical world because God created it. There is a, a sense of, of creation care that we as Christians are to walk in. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about the world of work or the world of, of community. I mean, there's a lot of good things in this world. It is talking about the world that is pushing against God, that is against the kingdom. And in fact, First John says it this way, do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. So it's not talking about the world of people. It's not talking about the community around us. It's talking about things that are pushing against God, rebelling against God. And, and that's the way I used to live. Again, I didn't care what God thought. Just the way of the world is the way it is. People hate those who hate them, so I'm going to hate those who hate them too. Just the way of the world, and that's the way we live before Jesus. And it says, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now the kingdom of the air in Paul's day, when someone said that, uh, they believed that the the, sp- the 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 space between the physical earth and heaven was called the kingdom of the air was the spiritual world, and so he's saying we used to follow the ruler of the spiritual world, and now I'm not obviously talking about God, because we know that God is over all, that He is the ultimate ruler. In Ephesians one again, it says that He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And so there's no one who is higher and bigger and more powerful than Jesus, but there is another ruler at work who is ruling a kingdom, the kingdom of evil. And this, of course, would be Satan who is not equal power to Jesus, I mean, it's not like, you know, Jesus and Satan are battling out and, you know, who's gonna win, you know, it's like an ultimate fight or something like, it's not like that, I mean, we know who is gonna win, it's gonna be, it's gonna be Jesus. Uh, And then it goes on, it says, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the word disobedient is the same word as unbelievers, it's often translated that way, and so this is a picture of what it's like before Christ, Uh, Just following the ways of the world, loving like everyone else, the same level, doing what everybody else is doing, not acknowledging God, and to live that way is to be following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, because there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Jesus, and there's a kingdom that's not of Jesus, and you're either in one or the other, and so to not follow Jesus is to be uh, at work uh, following the ruler of the kingdom of the world. And then it talks about the spirit who is work at those in disobedience. This can be seen two ways. Some think that the spirit of Satan and demons is at work in those who don't believe. And maybe I could even see that before as a Christ, though you may not even recognize that. And it may be, as a lot of scholars think, just mean the spirit as in little s, like, uh, like we say the spirit of Christmas. It's like the spirit of the world is at work in, in those who are not following, following Jesus. And then it goes on. It says, "All of us, uh, um, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And the flesh is not like just our physical body, but it's just it's um, it's anything in us that's not of God. Those things that we desire that are not of the kingdom. That's our, our flesh, sometimes translated sinful nature, in the scriptures, and following his desires and thoughts. And so uh, we had these gr- these." cravings and desires and thoughts of our flesh, and we would run after them. And now, to have cravings and desires is not a bad thing. Uh, God has wired in us cravings and desires. I mean, we all crave food, and we crave relationship, we crave sex, we crave safety, We, we crave for identity, to know who we are, we crave purpose, and all those are really, really good things that God created. There's nothing wrong with cravings and desires. But what happens is when you don't have the power of Jesus in your life, those things tend to become corrupt. And we tend to take them too far, where uh, the desire for food be- can, can become gluttony or greed. The desire for safety can cause us to hoard a bunch of things and, and mass up m- massive amounts of money and things while a lot of the world goes poor. Desire for identity can be corrupted in trying to find identity in our things or our clothes or in our pride or in our job, and uh, it just tends to go bad. The desire for sex can end up in adultery or affairs. Those good cravings that God has given us, if the Holy Spirit's not at work in our life, giving us power and direction and identity, those things tend to become corrupt, and that's what he is speaking about there. And then he gives the ultimate bad news. He says, uh, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. A really friendly word there. And uh, the word wrath just means anger. And this is speaking of God's anger. That by nature we were deserving, because of these things, we were deserving of God's anger. Anger. And this can bring up all kinds of trouble, and all kinds of questions, like, what do you mean God anger? What do you mean that we're deserving of wrath? I mean, that just just sounds out there. That sounds, you know, it doesn't sound good. I thought God was a God of love. How could God be angry? How could God, you know, have wrath if He is a God of love? And what we need to understand is, again, as we've talked about, God is 100% loving and he's 100% powerful. He's not 95% love and 5% wrath. I mean, he's 100% uh, love, and so his wrath has to do with his love. Uh, In fact, a uh, third century theologian put it this way. He who does not get angry does not care. I mean, if you had your child, and you uh, gave him to a babysitter for a few days because you were going out of town, and you came back and you realized that they didn't feed your kid, that they tied your kid upside down in a closet, and they didn't care about him, they just locked him up and did all kinds of horrible things to your kid, you'd be angry. I mean, there's nothing ungodly, there's nothing wrong about that. I mean, the Bible says, to be, do, uh, in your anger, do not sin. There's nothing wrong with anger. We see times that Jesus actually got angry, but the problem is often we cross the line into sin. In your anger, do not sin when it breaches over to I wanna get you back or I'm bitter or I'm gonna be unloving to you or I'm gonna hurt you or I'm gonna make you pay or whatever it might be, that is crossing the line into sinful anger. But God has no sin in him. His anger is always perfect. And the reason he is angry is because he loves us. He loves our kids. And he doesn't just love you, he loves every single person. This is why when if that babysitter story, if that was your own kid, you would be furious if someone hung your kid upside down in a closet and didn't feed them. I tell you, you'd be much more furious than if you heard in the news that some kid you know, in Russia somewhere had the same thing happen. You didn't know him. You wouldn't be as angry because you don't really love that person the same way you love your kid. But here's the thing. God loves everyone. Every single person who walks on this planet, and whenever he sees someone getting hurt, it angers him because he loves us. And this is why he has wrath. This is why he has anger, because it is revealing his love. I mean, you can't look at this world of, I mean, God knows everything poverty, the, the, the innocent destruction of little kids, the horrible things that have happened throughout history. I mean, the gossip, broken relationships, just the, uh, the pain in this world. You think God's just up there going, ah, this is great? He loves his kids, and that makes him angry but perfectly angry in a non-sinful way, and what this text is saying is that all of us are part of this problem. I mean, right now, you and I, we are stinking rich compared to most people in this world, and it doesn't matter if you couldn't even pay your rent last month. We are incredibly rich, and we are part of the poverty problem. I mean, there are things we could be doing about justice issues, and and, and, and we're not where we add to the pain. Just think about the pain in our own families sometimes that we have caused, or the pain we caused each other in our church. And, and because of this, God says we are deserving of wrath. And that is perfectly just and perfectly loving. It's because He loves you. That's why He gets angry when someone hurts you or when you hurt someone else. But this isn't the end of the story. Because God loves you far too much to leave you here. He doesn't leave you as someone deserving of his anger. He wants to rescue us and step out. In fact, a lot of people twist this idea of God's wrath thinking that God doesn't like people, God doesn't love certain people. That is so far from the truth because Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners or deserving of his anger, Christ died for us. That when we are in the worst state, Christ says, I love you enough to do the most radical thing and I'm gonna die for your sin. And on that cross, he takes every one of your mistakes, every issue that is deserving of God's anger, everything that you've done to hurt other people and he absorbs on the cross and he takes it so that we might walk in forgiveness and freedom. I mean, God's wrath is not Saying that God is not loving, it shows that He is the most loving being in this universe because only He really cares about dying people in other countries. He really cares about the suffering and the brokenness, and he is angry over those things, but he's doing something about it, and the best thing he has done is he is rescuing people from darkness, rescuing people who don't know who they are, rescuing people who cannot control their urges and their lusts. He's saying, come into my kingdom where there is power and there is freedom, and have new life, and this is what the gospel is all about. It says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of his sins. He is creating a new people, a new community who has new power so that we can begin working towards solving the issues and the pain on this planet, not adding to them. That's why we're to be living as children of delight. The very answer to God's anger is he rescues us and he says, go out and let's fix it together. Because we are partners with Jesus in working in this world to bring about his love and peace. And so, the book goes on to the good news. And it says this. But, despite that darkness, besides scene one, and those, those, that life before Jesus, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And we see here words of mercy and words of grace. And this is what we have in Jesus, is grace. The word mercy means not getting what we deserve. Uh, We deserve God's anger, but because of his grace, because of his rescue mission, we don't get his anger. The word grace actually means getting what you don't deserve. And in Christ, we, we don't only really have our, the anger washed away, but we get what we don't deserve. And that is a new heart, new power, new life. That is, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have access to God any time, any day, any hour, any minute. We can, in the spiritual world, go into the throne room of God and ask for his grace and mercy. I mean, we don't deserve that, but he gives it to us. And it's by grace, by faith, not by works. In other words, this is not just for people who have it all together. Too many people think, well, you know, I'm not good enough to become a Christian. I'm not good enough to walk in the church because i got lots of issues. I'm not good enough to take this step or whatever. It's It's not about how good or bad you are. It's about Jesus. That Jesus can take anyone, no matter how hard they are, even like an apostle Paul who was a murderer who hated Christians, was beating Christians up. He t- could take someone like that and say, you're mine, you're new, and he's going to change you, and he does. I mean, if you're here saying, well, I'm not good enough for Jesus. I don't know if Jesus would love me. I don't know if Jesus would do this in me. He wants to do this for you. It's about faith and not by works. It is a gift from God that is already given to you. You just got to reach out and take it. And here's some of the grace that we have received. And this is what this book, again, is all about. It's about the grace, getting those things we don't deserve. And here's what we've already looked at. These are all the things we don't deserve. That we are saints, we are in Christ, that we have every blessing in the spiritual realm, that we are chosen that we are holy and blameless. We are sons and daughters. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We have been lavished in his grace. We have the Holy Spirit. We have an inheritance. God's power is for us. Jesus, the one who loves us, is above all things. There is no trouble bigger than Jesus. And we have the perfect senior pastor, and he has saved us by faith. This is what it means to walk in the kingdom what it means to be rescued and to have. This. this is grace. And sometimes we're like, I don't know if I deserve that. I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good Jesus is. It's about how good Jesus is. This is about what Jesus has done for you. I mean, are you walking in this grace that he has given you? And then we see words of baptism. Again, this text from verse 4 to 9 Many think it was actually an early hymn sung when people were being baptized in the church. And we have a, we're going to have some baptisms here in a, in a couple of minutes. And because we see words relating to baptism. They had to made alive and dead and, and being raised up and being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. In fact, these are all words that relate to Christ himself. Christ died. Christ was made alive. He was raised up, and now Christ is seated in the heavenly realms, and Paul is saying this exact same thing happened to us, that in a sense we died, in a sense we have been raised up, in a sense we have been ascended to heaven with Christ. Again, it's not because we're so good, it's because of Jesus, but I mean, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, that when you become a Christian, there is something spiritually in which you share deeply in the work of Christ that we die to our old life of living for the kingdom of the ruler of the air and living for this world. And all of a sudden, we're raised to a new life with a new power, the filling of the Holy Spirit, a new heart with new desires, a new outlook on life, new strength to face what we need to strengthen, a new love that covers the issues that, that we face. And then we're ascended, in a sense, in the spiritual realm, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And we've talked about that lots. I mean, this is how we relate to Jesus. And baptism really is a picture of this, that when we take a person and we bring them down under the water, it's it's a picture that reminds us and them that they have died to their old way of life and, and to the old power that was over them through the work of the enemy and the work of, of the world. And then we raise them up to new life because you're new in Christ Jesus. This is why the, the Bible uses words like being born again and and new life and you're a new creation because it's weird when you become a Christian, something just changes. And sometimes when you grow up in a Christian home, you don't really notice it, but if you've lived without Christ, and then you give your life to Christ, it's all of a sudden like, man, I just have new desires. I have a, I have a deeper love for people. I mean, caring, bitterness, and unforgiving just don't sit well anymore in my life, uh, I, I love God, and actually want to please Him, and before I kind of hated Him, and you know, I don't really mind some Christians, before I thought Christians were Looney Tunes, you know, and just, you're just changed, because there's this new life as you're filled with the Spirit, and then as the are up, it also reminds us of our stand, when that person stands up, that they are with Christ in the spiritual world, and that is, it is baptism, and uh, we have two people today who are going to be baptized, and uh, we're really excited about that.